Welcome to the Boiled Owl Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live, and there's lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Don. Well, hey there, Don. Howdy, Sam. Oh, yeah, I'm Sam. I'm glad you joined us uh, at the uh, coffee club here today. You know, I can't help but get a cup of coffee every now and then, daily, like several times a day, and... Plus, it's kind of hard to resist your a company. I mean, I can go decaf anytime. I don't know what you're talking about. I can. I, I, I don't need. I love caffeine. It's good for me. I'm that. <laughs> well, I like to speed it up. <laughs> That's why I like. I like a lot of coffee. Yeah, I like a pot of coffee. I like a lot of coffee. I like a, a pot of hot coffee. I think you need to increase the speed on the playback for this episode. <laughs> but my coffee's got an owl in it. Was it boiled? Yeah, it's boiled. Of course, it's boiled. The hot coffee. It's liquid, isn't it? I'm not drinking dry coffee. Well, I don't know. Powdered water's good stuff. I've had people, I tell people that, you know, we have a podcast, the Boiled Owl Coffee Club, and they're going, why do you call it the Boiled Owl? The hell's the Boiled Owl? Yeah, I get the same thing. What's up with the Boiled Owl? And I say, well, have you met Don? Well, I say, (laughs) have you read the big book? (laughs) I guess I'm shaming a little bit there. (laughs) But it's a big book reference. All right. Well, tell us about it. 159 on A Vision for You. He says, in addition to these casual get-togethers, it became customary to set apart one night a week for a meeting to be attended by anyone. Yeah, you, just, totally, you totally read the wrong part. I'm just <laughs> it's the bottom of 157 to top of 158. Uh, I'm going to read an extraordinarily long <laughs> excerpt from the big book. I'll just read the whole thing and you... Just circle back around again. (laughs) I prayed to God on hangover mornings and sworn that I'd never touch another drop, but by nine o'clock, I'd be boiled as an owl. And there you have it, folks. Now, you did some research, too, and you found that uh, Boiled Owl is the name of a bar somewhere, right? Yeah, if you look it up on the internet... I think we come up second. <laughs> Coffee club comes up well, second. Well, it's, it's, it's only natural. I mean, you have the bar, and then you have recovery. So. I, I don't know what it's... I, I guess there were many times I was boiled as an owl, but I never felt like a boiled owl, Sam. <laughs> I, I think it's time to introduce our guest, Don. <laughs> Hunter, did you ever feel... Like you were boiled as an owl. <laughs> well, I don't ever recall in feeling like I was boiled as an owl. But one thing I will say is um, uh, this is a lot more fun, obviously, than what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> Good. So Good. I'm glad I'm here with you guys. Yeah. Lighten the hell up, Hunter. Uh, no, but I'll tell you what. I remember uh, waking up in the morning going, I am not going to do this again. And I meant it. And if you'd have put me on a lie detector test, I would have passed it. And by, well, it wasn't nine in the morning, but it was early afternoon. I was boiled as an owl, yeah. as you yeah. have so eloquently put it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I can relate to that. But, yeah. Yeah. I don't know that I felt like I was boiled as an owl, but. Yeah. I, think my, I think my hangovers might have been more like feeling like a boiled owl, but not, yeah, my, right. not, not my drinking. Uh-huh. It doesn't sound pleasant. <laughs> no. To be boiled as an owl. Do your feathers fall out? I'm sure they do. <laughs> they don't wave. 
Hunter, what's your sobriety date? Uh, my sobriety date is January 17th of 2017. 2017. And yeah. that's not your first sobriety that, that date. That is not my first sobriety date. Um, I've got three sobriety dates. The first one uh, was in 1996. I went into our sister fellowship, Narcotics Anonymous, and mm-hmm. spent seven years. And uh, long story short, um, when it came time to do a fourth and fifth step, I made a conscious decision to tuck away one or two little things in my back pocket. And I said, all right, God, you handle everything, but I'm big and strong enough. I can handle that. So I, you know, I was sober for seven years, and then I backed away from the program. And in 2003, I drank again. But then I got sober in 2006, and um, I went in and I said, I'm going to do two things. Number one, I'm going to be totally honest, and number two, I'm going to do exactly what they tell me. And I did that, and I also went to Alcoholics Anonymous, and I, I found a home, and it was, uh, it was wonderful. But as— What do you mean? It felt different than— Oh, yeah. For you. Yeah, it was dramatically different. You know, Alcoholics Anonymous to me, and this is certainly nothing against NA, um, but I feel more emotional sobriety Mm -hmm. uh, when I work the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, drinking has has not been an issue as far as wanting to drink. Now, I relapsed for about two months, which I'll get to. But, you know, um, it's it's more about just emotional sobriety and and dealing with the things in my head and— you know, finding this the serenity and the joy that um, that I'd longed for, and that ultimately were why I drank. You know, so I found that in AA, um, mm-hmm. I, and it may have just been that um, when I was in NA, it wasn't time for me to find that. So if I'd been in AA in that time frame, I may not have found it. I don't know. Yeah, maybe yeah. a um, certain receptivity that you had. Exactly, and, exactly. And uh, but no, I, I was. Um, you know, I was active in AA, and, and life was wonderful, and I think really life got too wonderful. And what really happened was I backed away from meetings. I can look back now and realize that I, you know, I started going to fewer meetings, and I found, uh, I mean, this is so classic. You know, I look back on it and said, how the hell did I miss this? Mm-hmm. But sure enough, it, it's a creepy little bugger. But, um, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I stopped going to meetings and found excuses. You know, I'm busy today and blah, 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 blah. And um, then I would go to the meetings and arrive right at meeting time, and I'd leave before the, the closing prayer. And I had to have a surgery. And um, what, uh, Our question last week was, how do you avoid complacency in AA? Yeah. Well, Speak to that. I will tell you, I knew at the time that I was backing away from meetings. But I think really what happened was the arrogance of it won't happen to me just uh-huh. just jumped in, mm-hmm. and I can handle it. I'm okay. You know? And the, the truth is, by not going to meetings and not working the program like I should, that allowed that arrogance to rear its ugly head. And, um, but, you know, so it was, a, it was a bit of a paradox there, you know, by not doing one, the other happened, but the other happening allowed me to say, I got it. I can handle this, you know? So, and, and I had a surgery and was given some pain medication and began to take that more than I should. And so one day, um, I decided I was going to go buy some beer. <laughs> I walked up to the counter and set a six pack down. And I remember setting it down, and I thought to myself, this is not going to end well. Oh. 
And, you know, about, I guess it was about two or three months later. Yeah, listen, the worst thing in the world is drinking with a head full of AA. Uh I mean, it is a miserable existence. So, And I was sponsoring a couple of guys, too. And, you know, I was sponsoring guys, and these guys were calling me even when I was drunk. And That's I annoying, thought, ain't I it? thought you'd say, yeah, it was. It was a bit of a pain in the <laughs> did ass. Did they know you were drunk? No. No? Well, if they did, they hadn't told me. But um, uh. but I did, you know, I, so after a couple of months, I, I said, well, I can't do this. I'll tell you what happened was one of my sponsees was getting ready to pick up a medallion. And this is a great kid, and he, he, he's doing really well. And I said, there's no way I can walk in and give somebody a medallion if I've been drinking. Not drinking that day, but just drinking, period. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, I said, uncle, and I called my sponsor and I said, you know, I've been drinking for a couple of months. And he said, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I can tell you what I want to do. And, um, you know, which is, well, I I wanted to go get sober again. And let let me rephrase that. Um, I didn't really want to do that, not because I didn't want to be sober, but because of the shame and the humiliation and just the the horrible horrible feelings that were associated with it but i knew i didn't have a choice and so you didn't want to you didn't want to pick up a start over I, exactly and, i mean oh. i had you know i had 10 years of sobriety and um one, one of the things that i discovered was and people really helped me with this uh-huh. i didn't lose 10 years of sobriety no you know um i lost a sobriety date but those were not wasted years and, you know, it's like many of us, I can be pretty damn hard on myself. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm learning to be a little more gentle with myself and, you know, tell myself what I'd tell other people. You know, so I, I did. I, I started over. And, and those first few months were really tough. Not that I wanted to drink. I didn't. But it was just having to face the reality of that. And so, you know, I, 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 I did another fourth and fifth step. And, you know, basically there wasn't that much more to cover but it was just a it was just a rude awakening on what I really need to be doing, and I'm. Well, I remember you. You were pretty wrecked when you came back in. By I was. It. I was absolutely. It was like emotionally distraught. Yeah. Uh, a start over is is a, a major blow to your ego. Right. Uh, I, I went through that too. Right. You know, six years ago, I started over, and at that point, I had about nine years. It is an ego blow from hell. It is. Mm-hmm. It really is. Um, Every time they give out the chips, you, you have to feel it, too. I'll tell you, one of the things that I struggled with, and it has diminished since then, was picking up a one-year medallion because it was like, you know, shit, here I am. You know, it's, it's almost like start. Yeah, it should be 12 years by 12 now. Years. And, you know, having to do that. So it was, it was a very humbling experience. So one of the things I'm hearing you say, though, from what you were saying, you know, I didn't lose that time that I had though, is, you know, I lost my sobriety date. I don't, it's been 15 years since I had a drink of alcohol. Now, I started over with poppers and diet pills. I've got six years since my sobriety reset, that that new date. I don't feel like a six-year-old. I feel like a Mm 15-year-old. You know, I have the experience in recovery of 15 years, and those are the people who feel like my peers, right? So to speak, right? Um, you know, I went to a conference uh, a few years ago, and they had you know uh, a beginners uh, workshop. They had a middle timers workshop, and they had an old timers workshop. Well, at that point, I totally fit in the beginners workshop insofar as my sobriety date and how much time I had. But I went to the middle timers workshop yeah. because that's where I felt right that that was my people. 
Well, and and I can I can appreciate that. The one thing that I am trying to be careful of is um, not to let that arrogance creep back in and say, you know, yes, I relapsed, but you know, it didn't really matter, or I I am just a um, I, I'm I'm not a newcomer because the truth is, you know, for that first year and even now, I guess I'm still a newcomer, and I say that just because. I don't want to go back to where I was, you know. I, I want to make sure that I stay grounded in um, the fact that this this relapse was reality, mm-hmm. and, and it was so. Dangerous what happened? Well. And what happened that got you to the place that you felt like I need to drink again? Well, um, you and, may also remember in the uh, our Saturday morning men's meeting, I was going through a lot of depression for a couple of years you know, battling back and forth that, and you know, there was medication involved. And so, you know, there were other factors that, uh, this is not an excuse, it's just kind of what was going on. Mm-hmm. And then when I had that surgery, I found that relief, you know, that that relief that we talk about. What surgery did you have? I had to have shoulder surgery. Yeah, that's painful. It was incredibly painful. In fact, it, the surgery lasted um, a little over three hours. They had to reattach three of the four tendons in my shoulder so you know that gave me a great excuse oh yeah it was a three-hour surgery and it and well you can't not take pain exactly exactly Mm -hmm. and you know when i first started it was you know okay i'm i'm doing fine this is what i want but i always knew that i had you know having the surgery almost had a feeling of relief behind it because i got to take those pain pills Mm. and you know, and I recognize that as distorted as hell thinking and alcoholic thinking, but I wasn't grounded enough in sobriety because of a couple of years before I hadn't been doing the meetings like I should. And I was leaving before the prayer and, um, you know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't working the program period, mm-hmm. you know, but I also, yeah. And I had been going through some bouts of depression. I've, I've dealt with depression over the years, you know, since I was a teenager and, um, you know, it just, and so I was working on medication and we'd get it right and blah, blah, blah. But the bottom line is to me, you know, that medication, even when I wasn't drinking that, that, that medication and that treatment for depression wasn't really going to be effective because I wasn't working my program effectively. You know? So the medication for depression is a separate thing and it has to be dealt with, but that doesn't excuse you from being involved in AA and working in AA. Absolutely not. And, you know, in hindsight, and the reality is I should have been working harder at it. But because you're, you were having, because I was, yeah, I was dealing with depression and activated. Yeah. And as cliche as it is, it's the truth, you know, without my recovery, nothing else is going to work. And so, you know, I, I didn't make that a priority and, and it cost me, you know, it cost me those years. It cost me those chips. But back to what Sam it was cost saying, me some you know, pride. It, yeah, it cost me some pride. It also gave me some humility, mm-hmm. and it gave me some experience. So there were gifts out of it too. But you know, back to your your comment about going to the the mid timers meeting, I, I I can relate to that, and I can appreciate that. You know, I don't go to beginners meetings now because you know I I know everything I need to know. The knowledge is up there. It's just how I apply it. I got asked to speak about six months in. And uh, I'd reworked, you know, the the fourth and fifth step, and that's sort of the criteria. You know, you can speak after you've worked your fourth and fifth step. And, and but I thought to myself, I'm not 
worthy of speaking. I'm, you know, how I shouldn't speak because I relapsed. You know, I was still beating the hell out of myself. And I called my sponsor. He said, "Of course you should speak." And I went in there, and and it was it was a group that I'm pretty familiar with, and I felt very comfortable with them. And it was, you know, and I'll say this as humbly as I can possibly muster it, you know, it was a good talk, you know, mm-hmm. because I, I was able to share more than just what I had experienced in those six months since I picked up my start over chip. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, of course. And you could share one of the things that I'm scared of at 24 years is I don't want to drink again. Right. What do I do? And how do mm-hmm. I know? I mean, yeah, here's the thing. Did you know that you were not working the program, or did you feel like that you were? I mean, I, I think it can it can be hidden from yourself. It was very subtle, and I knew I wasn't going to enough meetings, but again, that arrogance told me it's okay. You're not like everybody else. You know, I can handle it. My meetings are enough. You know, and, and there are people that are, that are sober and have been sober for years and years, and they go to one meeting a week, you right. know. And so I would latch on to that possibility. Well, the bottom line is, you know, I, I, there's a great saying, you know, I only need one meeting a week, but I don't know, don't which, know which one, one. so <laughs> I go to seven. Right. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I was aware, but I thought I could handle it. I mean, it's that simple. It's, 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 it's it, a devious it, it, it is. It is. I mean, for me, I – so I worked the steps with my first sponsor that was my sponsor for four years, and then subsequent sponsors I did not work the steps with. I just thought, you know, I'm working this program. I'm meeting with my. I was doing everything. I was sponsoring. I was meeting with my sponsor. I uh, was doing service work. I had a home group. I prayed, you know, regularly. It was part of my 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 thing. Meditation, eh, it still is kind of a. Eh. But you know, I was doing all the stuff. I thought I was good. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't. And for me, what it turned out to be was I was not working this program someone else's way because I was not working the steps with those subsequent sponsors. Um, And so I wound up doing it my way, and I fooled myself. Right. Well, I can even find myself today because my business is good, and I've got an active life, and I can find myself going, yeah, yeah. I, I go to probably three or four meetings a week now, and they're during the day. You know, I've got a 10 a.m. men's meeting I go to. I go to the Saturday morning men's meeting. I go to the lunch meeting at uh, one of our clubs here in town. And I can find myself going, well, I'm just really busy today. You know, it's okay. And it scares the you-know-what out of me mm. when I hear myself say that. And I'm really grateful that, you know, that that fear jumps in, you know, and reminds yeah. me. And sometimes I just have to suck it up. And it also scares me that, you know, the old saying of you go to meetings till you want to go to meetings – well, when I hear myself going, I don't want to go to a, it's not that I don't want to go to a meeting, but it's, you know, I got other stuff that I need to be doing. Well, right. It's just really distorted. So those thoughts and that demon still lives inside. And, you know, I got to watch it. And when I do, and I'll share about it in meetings. I mean, I've shared about it in the Saturday morning meeting. I've, I shared about it a couple of weeks ago at the men's meeting on Thursday morning that I go to, you know, and. That's that's how I put it. It's just, it's right sizing all those thoughts. Well, I, I think that that's incredibly important for those of us who have had a relapse to share about it. It um, is, it, you know, my my experience since starting over and and working the steps with the first sponsor when I started over, and getting some clarity on what I how I screwed up, is 
mainly, you know, I've shared it in meetings, but it's also these one-on-one conversations that I've gotten to have with people who are in the same place that I was, mm-hmm. or they are approaching it. And I, I remember specifically going to this one conference, a, an 11th step uh, meditation retreat, and having a one-on-one with a guy who was doing exactly what I had done. And he arrested that in himself by our conversation. Yeah. By me sharing what had happened, he saw this can go sideways really fast, really subtle. I'm not going to see it. Um, I'm already doing it. I just haven't done anything that's a relapse yet. And and he, he changed things up. Well, I heard this uh, radio program on uh, on the media recently that was talking about AA, and the person on there was talking the problem with AA is that you can you never get well, you always have to go, and that they're all into total abstinence. And <laughs> okay. Well, the reason being for me, I tried every trick in the book to control my drinking, was unable to do it. So total abstinence is the only way. I cannot drink a little bit. I don't want one beer. I've never wanted one beer. I don't want a beer. If I could have it, a beer, I would be having a beer all the time. Yeah. I, will, I will tell you, the thought of a beer is a fate worse than death. Oh, it's annoying to me. As I mean, hell, it's like, isn't it? why in the hell would anyone drink one beer? Which is not true for someone who's not an alcoholic. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. They don't feel that pressure. Yeah. No, you know, if I'm in in active alcoholism, and I would rather not be able to have any beer than to have one. You know, so mm-hmm. there's that, and then there is there the AA is like a cult. It was said, kind of. They, it's like you have to always go, and you can never get well. Well, the fact of the matter is, I don't want to drink again. I want a healthy mind, <laughs> and that's what happens: is my mind stays healthy if I continue to go to meetings on a regular basis, and it's about. Living, it's you know, I don't have a drinking problem. I have a thinking problem, right? And it it gets my thinking straight. Well, and that's what I was talking about, you know, emotional sobriety, mm-hmm. um, because I don't think about alcohol, but I have you know firsthand experience at if I don't address my thinking problem, alcohol is going to jump in the picture, you know. And uh, that's one of the reasons I love our home group on Saturday mornings. Little plug for the summit. Fellowship Club Men's Home Group at 930. Best damn meeting in Greensboro. <laughs> um, but no, we, we get in there and we talk about the real stuff. It, it, it blows my mind sometimes that, you know, we've got a bunch of middle-aged and more men that sit in there and we talk about our emotions the way that we do. I envision, you know, uh, my non-alcoholic friends coming in and witnessing that, and they yeah. would be like, what in yeah. the world is wrong with these people? <laughs> right. I, I didn't, it, hanging out at happy hour, you know, I wouldn't say, I'm filled with a thousand forms of fear. <laughs> <laughs> I would it, be in a fight outside afterwards if I were to, <laughs> to show that kind of weakness. Right. But the vulnerability of the people in AA is incredible. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the things that was really hard for me, too, is I'm, I've always been a um, – uh, I wear my emotions on my sleeve, and I like to talk about feelings. 
you know, that's one of the things that draws me to AA uh, is that I get to do that, you know. But it's also easy for me to shut that down when I'm not being active. And that sort of process, you know, if I'm not active in AA, that that's where I start to feel like I'm going to explode inside. You know, I need to have that kind of interaction with people. I absolutely need that. Yeah, and I think that's where we have a, um, a leg up on the rest of society, so to speak, in that we do have access to this uh, so easily and cheaply. You know, Lee um, Iacocca said everybody in the world should have an opportunity to go through a 12-step program. Oh, we totally need Humans Anonymous. Yep. I think it's, <laughs> it's fitting. Humans uh, and, and, you know, and this is, we don't have a monopoly on how this stuff works. I mean, it's really very simple stuff that's taken, taken from other groups. It's just the, the form in which it's laid out for us. And I do want to put a plug in, too, for Bill W. and Dr. Bob. I really believe that they were divinely inspired to do this, and it was done so perfectly. And one of the things I love about AA is that you cannot screw it up. We're, we're a crazy <laughs> bunch of people in there, and you get a crazy bunch of people in a, in a room, and a lot of crazy things can happen. But this thing is just so perfect and so divine, in, in my opinion. You cannot screw it up, you know? And that's yeah. that's that's a that's a beautiful thing. To well, me. and and one of the things that I love is that you know, it, it is there, there is no trademark, no copyright on the twelve steps. I mean, actually, there probably is, but anyway, uh, the the principles behind the twelve steps, like you said, are, they come from all over. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact of the matter is that if alcohol had not beaten my ass into the ground, I never would have done them. No, me neither. No, and so yeah. that's where the the magic kicks in. Of you know, I'm I'm a grateful al- alcoholic. What the hell does that mean? It means I'm grateful that something kicked my ass so hard that I was not able to recover from it on my own. I was not going to survive it, and I became willing to do something someone else's way, which this design for living the twelve steps works for me. Yeah. Works for a lot of my friends. I'm going to keep on doing it. And I don't need alcohol to drive that now. And that's the kicker. That's one of the cool things about this is that, you know, I needed pain to push me to do this. But today, I know what's on the other side of doing this. And knowing what's on the other side, maybe I don't know specifically, but I know what's on the other side is good. That pulls me to do the work. Yeah. Well, you know, it worked. Is that what made it possible for you to come back in when you're, say, you're drinking? And you don't want to pick up a start over chip, but you had the experience of it working before or were you fighting that? Oh no, I knew that was where the answers were and that I absolutely, you know, I had no choice. I I really had no choice. No, the biggest obstacle was just the, you know, tucking my tail between my legs Mm -hmm. and having to come back in and do it. And I'll never forget that meeting. I mean, people rallied and, you know, it was it was amazing, and I knew that was going to happen. You know, I've seen it happen, and I've done it for others. But it's still that 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 pesky pride and that mm-hmm. that that fear of the humiliation of it. Oh, and we are um, so hard on ourselves. Oh my God! You know, when yeah. I started over, I I ran away to to Durham and did recovery there for a year or so, and and the friends that I made there. You know, one of the things that, that an old-timer there was telling me was, Sam, put down the stick. Right. Stop beating yourself. You're holding yourself to a standard that you wouldn't hold anybody else to. Why? 
You know, one of, one of the things that I try to do is I want to be able to treat myself the way that I would treat someone that I truly loved and cared about. Mm. And I, so I have this visual where I am sitting in a chair and I'm sitting directly across from me. And I'm telling me what I would tell one of my children or, you know, a sponsee or anyone that I, you know, genuinely cared about. And that's hard to do. Yeah, you know, it is. Um, it's 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 hard to do. Actually, when I put myself visually in that scenario, it's easy to do, but it's hard to feel. You know, so I, it's, yeah. it's, it's it's a learning process. I, I but I get it. You know, I want to treat me the way that I would treat somebody that I really loved. So you worked the you came back and you worked the steps again. I guess for if you you like the idea. This was true for me. I like the idea of accessing my feelings. And I had been in therapy before coming to AA. And I was real comfortable with the idea of talking with a therapist about my past, my feelings and things like that. So the fourth and fifth step made a lot of sense to me and felt comfortable. Mm -hmm. But after that, then what am I going to do with that stuff? That was scary for me. Yeah. Did you go through the whole process? Did you find that you needed, had you made all your amends or did you, you said earlier that you tucked a couple of things away? Well, the, the things that I tucked away were from the 1996 sobriety date. When I got sober again in 2006, I put those things out there and I made amends for those things. And I, and I did what I needed to do. However, there were some issues between 2006 and uh, my latest fourth and fifth step that had to be addressed. And there was one amends in particular that was going to be very challenging for me. And my sponsor said, that's one you got to do. And it was, it was with another person in AA who had helped me immensely and had been there for me. And just, you know, one of these old timers that's just can be a, you know, persnickety grumpy old cuss but you know is brilliant when it comes to really loving people and helping people and I had to go to him and in fact I'd been putting it off for several weeks and my sponsor called and and I'm not sure you know to me this is divine intervention too I, you know I just out of nowhere said yeah I've, I've, I'm driving by his house uh, the one that I needed to make the amends to and I said you know it's just dawning on me. he said you need to call him right now and I was like, shit, you know, <laughs> but, you know, a head full of AA can also be a good thing because I knew he was right. And the thing about it was I knew that this guy was going to he would accept my amends with love and he wasn't going to chastise. And and but there was just this fear of having to do it. So I called him and he said, I'm home. And I went over there and I sat with him for about an hour and, and we talked about this stuff. And, you know, I've, I hear people talk about the relief they get from a fourth and fifth step. All the ones that I've done, I've never really felt this sort of, you know, lightening of the load that people describe. But after I made this amends, man, it was like, you know, it, it was just, it was like a breath of fresh air. And, you know, a sack of bricks had been set down. And, you know, I, I have that experience. I'm just a stubborn old son of a bitch, too, you know. But gratefully I, I will take suggestions and I do believe in doing what's asked of me. And I'll give you another example. Um, my sponsor is, he's a, a coordinator for fifth steps out at fellowship hall. 
he calls me periodically and says, you know, I want you to come do a fist step. And every time he calls, my initial reaction is, oh, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> and I never say no. I mean, I, I have probably – I've done dozens of fist steps over the years with Fellowship Hall. And the only time I've ever said no is literally when I have a conflict. But usually I'm able just to reschedule. But I never say no, and I'm really grateful for that. But I do. It just, you know, my alcoholic brain just goes to selfish mode. I don't want to do that. Right. But I go do it, and I've had some amazing experiences with people, and I have yet to leave there and go, shit, I didn't. I wish I hadn't have done that. You know, I, uh, yeah, totally. Yeah, I've never had those words. Always before, but, but never. Yeah, after. I wish I had. I, I that was a waste of time. I wish I hadn't done that. Well, you know, so that's just the part of the foundation and the um, insurance that I can lean back into and say, "Yep, yeah, you know, I've never regretted doing one." So. I'll piss and moan about it for five minutes, then I'll get up off my ass and get busy. <laughs> That's where I've had, I've listened to Fifth Steps, and it, it was incredible how, I don't know if they're doing it or if it, they're at the at Fellowship Hall, the treatment center that's local, or whether God's doing it, but the match has been unbelievable. Right. Where I've actually had somebody like, trembling with shame and fear, afraid to share something that they did, and they share it, and I can say, absolutely, I did that too. Exactly that. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you, they, they, they do, and I know this because my sponsor does this, but they, they do match people up. I mean, they're not going to have me go out and listen to a fifth step but they can't a, know what my what my secret worst well, behavior was don, they, maybe we all some, know we all magic, know. that's right yeah don we all know yeah <laughs> <laughs> no they're not going to match me up with a 25 year old female right. you know crackhead right. for obvious I, reasons. I end up getting matched with musicians and artists yeah, yeah. and so we tend well, a to lot have of, the same bad behavior. I don't know. <laughs> a lot of my story is, um, you know, based on relationships and um, and money stuff, and you know, I'll try to keep that as vague as I can for the um, the the anonymity portion of this. But you know, and and shame and childhood trauma, mm-hmm. and that's who they match me up with. And you know, it's funny because just a couple of weeks ago, I did two over the course of about four days and he never does that you know they, they try not to That's do that lot, yeah. but he called me and he goes i've got another one and this is the one i should have asked you to do do you mind doing another one so actually at that point i got to really bitch like oh okay yeah i've got to do another one now whine 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 okay i'm coming <laughs> you know so i went out there and did it and and there there are some that are just amazing at how they speak to me and the the similarities and the feeling that I get, and the and being able to watch um, these people relate to what I'm saying, and to to give them the hope, and you can see it in their eyes. You can give them hope. Yeah, you can see it in because mm. I've done some. Some people just don't get it, or they're not right. ready to get it, and that's okay. You know, but be, when you there's know, that connection, oh, and man. you're able to to say, "I've done that. You don't have to live this way anymore," and here's how. Right. And you can do that, and I can feel the presence of God in the room when I've done that before. I've had spiritual experiences probably more frequently in listening to fifth steps 
than any t- where I can feel that there's you know, that there's something more than just me and my ego involved here. Exactly. Well, I'll give you an example. This last one that I did, this guy was molested as a kid, and I was molested as a kid, and. I'd heard, you know, they, they prefaced me a little bit and said he just came clean with this for the first time in his life with his counselor just three mm. days ago. So I knew that going in. Mm-hmm. And I try not to be manipulative or anything, but as I was sharing a little bit of my story, I opened up about that. And within 15 or 20 minutes, he opened up again about it too. So the, the spiritual part of that for me was being able to witness somebody that had been carrying that shit around for decades because he was my age, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, in my mid-50s. And he'd been carrying it around, and over the course of the last seven days, he had been able to express this to two different people. Mm. And I could just tell that he realized, you know, a lot of things. You know, it, it lightens the load. It wasn't his fault. It wasn't about him. Carrying it is not his responsibility. And just to be a part of that, you know, yes, I walked out of there going, hell yeah, that was worthwhile. I guess <laughs> yeah, I'll yeah. do it again when I get the call. Yeah. So, you know, and that's what sobriety is about to me, you know. And if I don't stay engaged in that, if I don't do those fist up, if I don't go to meetings, if I do get complacent, then I know from experience that I'm going to go back to where I was, which is, yeah, I don't need a meeting today. Eh. And all of a sudden, I'm going to be setting that six-pack back on that counter saying to myself, this shit is not going to end well. You know? Yeah. So it's really very simple, but it can just it can creep in. You know, it's... It's about so, vigilance. Yeah, I was exactly. I was going to say diligence. I mean, so vigilance. It requires a mindfulness that has. I have to be present. I can't go on autopilot, or I can't go on autopilot for too long. Um, you know, sometimes I'm going to, but if I go on autopilot and and just start doing things my way, it's not going to work. It's not going to work because I'm going to become a slug. I'm going to wind up hanging out at the house doing whatever that I want to do at the house. I'm not going to be interacting with people. Uh, I'm not going to. I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to. I'm not going to have those those that relationship with my higher power. I'm going to wind up doing things to change the way I feel, and eventually those things to change the way I feel are going to include chemicals and alcohol. It's the progression it's going to take. Exactly. I'll I take back control and. It's not natural to approach life. At least it's not natural for me to approach life that I have no control over anything, <laughs> which is pretty much true. I only have control over about three feet around me. And every person, I don't, I don't have any control over anything that anyone does. When I'm engaged and involved in AA, it enables me to, to, to let go keep putting my focus on where I can be effective and not put my focus where I cannot be effective, trying to control other people and other things that where that place is, has moved over the years. I mean, I've, I've got a lot less control now than I had five years ago. What I'm saying is I can identify it and it's easier for me to let go at this point in my life than it was five years ago. So, But I am certain that if I were to back off of going to meetings and be involved and talking to people in AA, 
then it's going to make sense that I can control some things that right. I don't, can't do. Now, I was going to say, um, I, not to speak for you, but, you know, do you have less control or are you just of the mindset that you, you know, you recognize that you don't have that control? Better awareness. Because it's, yeah. it's about my, it's my perspective right. on things. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, I, there are places where I used to fight that I'm not even fighting anymore. Right. I've gotten better at living. Yeah, is is what's happened for me. I mean, I life still happens. That there are things that happen that I like, things that I don't like. You know, as I age, new challenges, health things have kicked in, things like that. But I'm better at living through these things rather than railing at them, shaking my fist to God and right all that. Right, righteous anger. Yeah, uh, is a, is something that I used to indulge in quite a bit. And I find it to be exhausting. (laughs) (laughs) Yet, it also is odd, for example, like, well, like politics. I have always been political and engaged in that. And I'm just fine that there is a place where I can be engaged. And beyond that, I'm not going to put any energy into it because it upsets me. And I have no effect. I can't have an effect on it. So I let go of things that before I really wanted to feel the the, uh, righteous anger of it. Well, there's a power. There's a sense of power in getting righteously angry. It always feels like you're doing something. Yes. But you're not really doing anything. Oh, the hangover sucks. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) it's... It's easier to not do it. However, it feels like I've I've often been feeling this, particularly in the in the last couple of years. It's like I wonder if it's if I'm really getting better at letting go, or is I'm just getting older, so I just don't care about anything anymore. That's not really it. I really still do care, but. If it's if I can't be effective, I'm not going to spend energy on. Well, I think there's there, there's a big difference between acceptance and apathy. You know, I don't care is total apathy. You know, I, I, but accepting things that I can't change, that I don't have effect over, doesn't con, doesn't mean I condone them. It doesn't mean I approve them, but it means that I accept that they are. And then I can look at look at the situation and see well where can I be effective on this. You know, another thing is just the awareness of it all. I had a sponsor for about eight months before I have my current sponsor, and and that old sponsor joined the Army at the age of 41. We're actually three days ahead of 41 because that was when the cutoff was. But, no, he was great, and he used to say, how much utility is is it? How much utility is in there for? You know, so the awareness of am I really spinning my wheels and is there any utility in me fighting this thing? Whether it be you know politics or a driver in front of me or a pepperoni pizza or whatever <laughs> or a the neighbor, hell yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. You know, is there any utility in this? I love that, and that's yeah, that was a, that that's was a useful know, tool. What, there. It is yeah. one for me. You know, growing up, I heard "choose your battles wisely." Now, what that meant to me when I first heard it, and for a long time after, was pick the battles you can win. Right. That's not what it means to me today. <laughs> 
<laughs> Choose my battles wisely means, is this worth my serenity? Is this worth me getting worked up over? Is it worth the emotional hangover? Is it worth the potential uh, damage and destruction that I'll leave in my wake in, in engaging in this? Is it worth it? Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes I have to choose that, yes, this battle is worth this. More often than not, yeah, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. There is a shape up in the air. It seems to have a letter. It's an owl with a letter in its mouth. Duck. It's time for our old timers question. Who are you calling an old timer? You. It's what happens if you don't drink and you don't die. No matter how long you've been sober. It's still one day at a time. Don't call me Sonny. Sonny. Damn it. <laughs> <sighs> if you want to ask a question, go to boiledowlaa.org. We have a question. Ah. Ah. Craig from Tennessee says, It's like there's one big secret to staying sober. When will I get it? What is it? Wow. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I've got an answer, Craig. The big secret is that there is no big secret. <laughs> There's no secret. <laughs> One of my favorite things is uh, the only thing I'll ever understand about God is that I'll never understand God. And I can relate to his question because I am a figure outer. Mm. I'm an engineer. I have a, a, a business that deals with construction, and I've got to be able to figure things out. And, and you know, I spent a lot of time my first few years in recovery subconsciously trying to figure God out. And once I could do that, then I'd really be able to give myself to him. And I had it asked Right, backwards. you can't give yourself if you don't understand what you're that's giving right. Don't tell to me him. to put a square peg in a round hole. And that's what this is. You know, I've got to accept the fact that um, I can't figure this thing out and that there is no secret. The secret is... There's no secret, and just do what the people ahead of me have done and do the things that are uncomfortable and, you know, trust these folks and just work the program. I mean, it's so there's, I don't think there's really much of a secret behind that. I hear that kind of thing in just about every meeting that I go to. Yeah, the, yeah. the, the secret is walking the path, the secret is doing the action. There's no end to it, there's no end to the path. There's, so you don't graduate. It is walking along the path and letting go. We were talking about letting go earlier. It's identifying what I can control and what I can't control, letting go of everything. It's asking my higher power for guidance, which just seemed ridiculous to me <laughs> when I first came in. Yet I find that it actually works and my life has improved and if I ask my higher power for guidance, I can do things that I, I that I should do, instead of doing things that are just what I want to do, as I heard at a meeting this past week. That's exactly what happens. I I find I can live in the world without drinking, and I don't have to turn to uh, other substances to change the way I feel. I can deal with my emotions and deal with the world, but. What's the secret? It's all the little things that I have to do on a daily basis. It's staying focused on today, which the, the whole thing of one day at a time sounded like pablum. 
It's way too simple, like a little nursery rhyme. One day at a time. Oh, for crying out loud. They even put it in nursery AA. rhyme font when you see yeah, it. You know? it is. When you read it on the it's wall. It's like an illustration <laughs> for the Grimm's fairy tales. It's a grim story when you go to AA, it feels like. But the one day at a time is incredibly deep because it's it's really the present moment. And that's what I had to do when I first got sober. Because it's like, yeah, but I want to drink. Okay, well, do you want to drink? Can you not drink this moment? Okay, I cannot drink this moment. Okay, here's another moment. Just keep your focus right here and get through it. And I, if I go through something, I can get to the other side. I used to always try to get out of everything. Well, you know, one of the things that I, uh, I always get a chuckle out of in the big book Um I don't know if they still do this, but I remember going up through school, elementary school and, and middle school and such, that you know you had your textbook, and then there was the teacher's textbook that had all the answers in it as well. <laughs> yeah. It had the directions and all that kind of stuff. And then you know I, I remember the first time getting to in the big book where it says, take this book and leave it with your 12-step person that you're visiting. Um, leave it with the alcoholic and let them read it. And, and it's like, it's the teacher's manual. I mean, we've got this, this book that is the program that is the secret. It is the secret. Yeah. And what do you know? All of the instructions, even for the teachers, for the sponsors, um, the people who are helping me in this it's program, all right there. are in that book. So you want to know where the secret is? It's in the book. Yeah. And that book has saved my life, uh, or doing the work that's in that book has saved my life. And uh, I don't want what I had. I got what I, I got what I got, and I like it. That book was just seemed to me opaque when I first was looking at. It. I tried to mm-hmm. read it, and I, I could not identify with it. The language was archaic. Yeah, written too, in the 1930s. There was too much wrong with it. That book is approaching a hundred years old. Yeah, it's getting there. And you know, the th- and this is why you know, first of all, that book was written at a time and for the purpose that it could be sent out to people so they could do this on their own because Alcoholics Anonymous did not exist and it certainly was not and I'm, everywhere. I'm sure it spoke to people it back cer- then. Certainly. Today, and it may speak to somebody today, but I need a sponsor. To, yes. Today I need a sponsor to go through the book with me to help me get. So I, And so all a sponsor is is someone who someone else went through the book with. They've done it. They've got experience that I don't have and they can help me do it. Yes, you're right about that. There's so many things that are still so applicable in that book, though. You know, oh, they yeah. really are. It, it'll never lose its uh, its meaning because of time. You no. Know, and the archaic language and all that. You know, the promises. Um, how can those ever fade away? You know, mm-hmm. whether it be, you know, 2018 or 4018, you know, those promises are still just... Uh, very foundational and and um, just pure, you know. And something that I know I craved. No. I, I I didn't have those, and I wanted them. Yeah, it's an instruction manual, and mm-hmm. 
Start at the beginning, follow along with the help of a sponsor because I couldn't understand it. Oh, wait, you mean you don't just open the book to anywhere and start reading? <laughs> no, and because and, it builds on itself. It's yes. like uh, algebra. I mean, it's, you got to, you've got to start at the beginning and understand the first part before you move on to the next part. It's a recipe. And then it continues to deepen. But the whole idea, because uh, I got hung up on God as I understand him. I felt like I had to understand God to be able to turn it over to God. <laughs> if I, you know, just like you said, Hunter, and I, well, what am I going to turn it over to? The nothing? Yes. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really matter what you turn it over to. Just turn <laughs> it over. It doesn't matter. Yeah, and, you know, I matter. also liked, Hunter, that you, you, you mentioned the, the figuring out stuff. Um, I was that when I came in here as well. And, and I'm very fortunate that I got also that that was going to get in the way of me doing this work, trying to figure it out, but I couldn't help but try to figure it out. So I just kind of set that over here on the side and let it be a little side project of trying to figure this thing out and still did what was in front of me. I can find that creeping in daily almost, you know, trying to figure it out. And all that is is control. That's all it is. And, um, you know, thank God for the awareness of that. And go, oh, oh, I'm trying to figure this out. Just stop. Just stop. And, yeah. you know, usually I can for at least 15 or 20 seconds before <laughs> I find myself venturing into the next thing that I'm trying to figure out. Ooh, I'm going to read this reading that I read this morning. Y'all talk among yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, Don. <laughs> this is interesting. We should talk about Don right now, though. Too late. Yeah. Well, we can still talk about him. Yeah, I, mean. I guess we can. He wears funny-looking shirts. Well, he's kind of funny-looking anyway. This reading I read this morning in my morning prayer and meditation, and it's from, uh, right now I'm going through the book, The Language of Letting Go, and it's applicable. Being is enough. We're not always clear about what we are experiencing or why. In the midst of grief, transition, transformation, learning, healing, or discipline, it's difficult to have perspective. That's because we have not learned the lesson yet. We're in the midst of it. The gift of clarity has not yet arrived. Our need to control can manifest itself as a need to know exactly what's going on. We can't always know. Sometimes we need to let ourselves be and trust that clarity will come later in retrospect. That's a good one. That's it reminds one. me of uh, my MO is typically to place a judgment of good or bad on something. And one of the things that I've learned is uh, my initial perception of something is often wrong. And so <laughs> if I see it as bad, it may turn out to be good. Mm-hmm. If I see it as good, it may turn out to be bad. And, um, you know, that's, that's, an, that's another element of control, I think. So um, it's, it goes back to wear the world like a loose garment. Yeah. Yeah. Ask me how I'm doing. How are you doing? A lot better than I think I am. <laughs> My favorite spiritual gas giant. <laughs> Hunter. Thanks for being here on The Boiled Owl today. Absolutely. Really enjoyed it. Thank you guys for having me. This has been a new experience, but a good one. And guess what? I stayed sober. <laughs> Sweet. And I don't want to drink now either. So I don't that's either. Good too. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> 
Thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. Visit our website at boiledowlaa.org or email us at giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous in your city or visit aa.org. Please note, Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of AA and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services. Don't mess me up with that damn Irish old-timer shit. I'll do exactly as I please. And I don't think you have any control over it, do you? Well, I hey, We're letting one. go, aren't we? No, I'm yes, the one who publishes are. the episodes. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you'll have to have something to publish. Uh, it, it's true. But we, but our adoring... Let it go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to win this, am I? <laughs> no. <laughs>